0: Good morning everybody. Uh, We have two Bible readings today. So the first one is from Luke chapter 18 verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. God, I thank you that I am not like the other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Our second reading today is from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating on one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that... Having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Amen.
1: Good morning, everyone. Uh, It's great to be with you on this Father's Day, uh, and I'm really conscious of the privilege it is uh, to share God's word with you. Now, this morning, we're talking about grace. It's one of those words we use all the time. Uh, We say grace before meals. We talk about God's grace to us. We sing amazing grace. Uh, It's actually the world's most recognised song, the most well-known song in the world, amazing grace. But what does it mean? What is it? And how important is it really? Well, this morning, I want to unassume the concept of grace a little, pull it apart, look at it closely and as we do that, we'll find that the entire Christian life is lived on the basis of God's superabounding grace to us in Jesus. At every stage of the Christian life, we live by grace. We begin justified by grace, declared not guilty by God the Judge. Christ has paid our debt in full, so there's no more penalty to pay And there never will be. It's good news, isn't it? Uh, Jesus has permanently paid our tab, permanently settled our score, we don't just have a clean slate, Christ has broken the slate apart and thrown it away. We begin the Christian life justified by grace and we continue daily, sanctified by grace. Daily, uh, gradually, little by little, uh, more and more, we're made like Jesus. Day after day, God chips off the rough edges and transforms us into the likeness of Jesus. We continue sanctified by grace and we will end by grace too, we will be glorified by grace. In His incredible kindness to us, God takes us to His new creation. We'll no longer be mortal or subject to death or uh, because of sin, uh, we'll be fully and finally transformed, fit to live in God's new creation. Uh, the entire Christian life is lived by God's superabounding grace to us in Christ. Grace is what we need. Uh, grace is the love of God shown to the unlovely. Grace, God's free and unmerited favour shown to guilty sinners who deserve only judgment. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is what we need. Grace is what we all need. Grace is what we always need. Now, in preparing this talk, uh, I've leaned upon the excellent book, Transforming Grace by Jerry Bridges and hopefully you can see that on your screen. Uh, It's a fantastic book. If you're looking for a lockdown read, um, you can order a copy in from Reformers or Kurong, and it's well worth your time, I reckon. Um, Now, let me pray uh, and then we're going to consider together the super abounding grace of God. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for your grace to us. Uh, Thank you for the chance uh, to sit down together um, via this virtual means uh, and think about what you have to say, uh, to think your thoughts after you. Uh, Father, please encourage our hearts this morning, in Jesus' name, Amen. We all need God's grace, whether we're good or bad, proud or humble, religious or irreligious, we all need God's grace. But many of us don't like to admit that. Uh, Consider the story that Jesus told about two men who went up to the temple to pray. Uh, Thanks so much, Helen, for reading that for us before. Um, It should appear on your screens now as well, uh, that'll help you as I refer to it, although you might like to have your Bible open instead. Um, So, two guys, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, a religious expert and a businessman, if you like. Who are you more like? The businessman? or the religious expert? It's kind of a hard choice, isn't it? Uh, Are you like the greedy tax collector, selfish, only interested in your own comfort? Or on the other hand, are you like the Pharisee, relentlessly religious, self-reliant and proud? Are you a self-made man uh, or or, or are you utterly self-reliant? It's not an easy choice, is it? Uh, Jesus' point, actually, though, is that both men need grace. One knows it and the other doesn't. So, you listen to what the Pharisee says about himself in verse 11. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. See, the Pharisee needs grace... He thinks he's got it all together, because his religious performance is superb, but he arrogantly looks down on everyone else. He's self-confident about his own self-righteousness, he doesn't actually care about God's opinion, he just wants to look good in front of other people. If he was around today, he might be a cultural Christian, Christian in name, but actually totally self-reliant and satisfied with his own goodness. uh, Or she might be someone who has no place for God in her life, um, despite being named Christian. What do I need Jesus for? I see no need for Him in my life. See, the Pharisee thinks he's got it all together, he doesn't think that he needs God's grace. But the tax collector, on the other hand, well, he knows he needs God's grace. He knows that his religious and moral performance is well below par. He knows God's standards and he knows that he doesn't measure up. See, look at his prayer in verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, he's selfish. He's greedy. He's taken from the poor and the weak so that he could live in luxury. If he were around today, he might be a telemarketer uh, or someone sending SMS scams. He'd be going door to door. Uh, selling things to people that they don't need, that don't actually exist. Uh, Or perhaps he'd be someone struggling with pornography uh, or an inappropriate sexual relationship. See, this guy knows God's standards and he knows he doesn't measure up. Whatever he or she has done in the past though, now he's got a guilty conscience. Perhaps he's having trouble sleeping at night and so he asks God for mercy. Both kinds of people need God's grace but only one kind is willing to admit it. See, God gives His grace to those who admit they need it and ask Him for forgiveness. Do you need God's grace? Are you willing to admit it? Well, despite their differences, the Pharisee and the tax collector have one thing in common. They've both made a simple mistake. And it's a simple mistake that we are all prone to. See, the Pharisee and the tax collector both think their standing with God is based on their performance. The Pharisee looks at his religious performance and says, I rock. The tax collector looks at his religious performance and says, I failed. They both think it's about their performance. We make the same mistake. We think our ongoing relationship with God is about our performance instead of God's super abounding grace. If we performed well, according to our own definition, then we expect goodness from God and if we haven't performed well, again, based on our definition, well then we expect less goodness from God. I haven't had a quiet time in a month, well God won't want to answer my prayers. But the truth is, we all need God's grace all the time the saint as well as the sinner, the missionary as much as the new believer, we all need the same amount of God's grace too, because God does not deal with us according to our performance, the currency of our good works has no value. You cannot earn God's blessing with your good performance and you cannot forfeit God's blessing with your poor performance either. Now, I suspect most of you would agree with this when I say that, we're saved by grace uh, all our works are filthy rags in God's sight. We say that, but when we look at our behaviour, when we look at our ongoing relationship with God, or our sweat, if you like, well, it looks like our relationship with Him is based on performance. Uh, we act like our relationship with God is on a performance treadmill. See, grace is what got us onto the treadmill in the first place and it's what started us running, it pushed the go button. Uh, but if we're going to go the distance and, and not fall off, um, that's embarrassing, by the way, don't do that. Um, but if we're going to go the distance on the treadmill, it's because we ran hard enough, because we performed well enough. Saved by grace, but running on by works, by sweat. But it's not that, like that at all, is it? It's not about our performance. It has never been that, and it never will be that. See, your daily relationship with your Heavenly Father is based on the infinite merit of Christ, it's not about your performance. Do you feel like you're struggling at the moment to relate to God? Because you've got everyone at home and you never get a moment's peace. Well, it's okay. Your relationship with God is not based on your performance. It's not based on how much you have your life together at the moment. It's okay. Or perhaps you feel like being stuck at home has meant a loss of routine, you don't get to go to church, you don't get to go to Bible study and your life lacks the rhythm and the casual contact with other believers and that's making you feel disconnected from God. It's okay, God doesn't love you because you're regular in your connecting with Him or with other Christians. He relates, relates to you on the basis of Christ's merit, not yours. Maybe you've fallen behind Uh, In our church wide Psalms reading project. Maybe you haven't even started yet. 28 days in the Psalms. It's day five. Are you already four days behind? That's okay. God relates to you on the basis of grace, it's not about your performance. Uh, Lauren and I, uh, to actually combat this tendency in ourselves, uh, we agreed we were going to read the Psalm that was the Psalm for the day um, and not worry about the ones we miss perhaps you might like to do the same as a way of removing that performance element and that guilt element. See, we all need God's grace, no matter who we are, and no matter how religious or irreligious, and no matter how excellent or poor our moral performance, grace is what we need, it's what we all need, it's what we always need. And when you realise that, and when you live like that, well, there is freedom indeed. Grace is what we need. It's what we all need and it's what our Heavenly Father graciously gives us. Thanks be to God. But take a moment and consider, how are you tempted to act as if your ongoing relationship with God is based on your performance? I'm going to give you a second to think about that while I grab a drink. Grace. We all need it. Let's press into that a little bit more, shall we? Why do we all need grace? Well, as the song says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. A wretch like me. It's not a word we use much anymore, is it? Wretch. Uh, Let me put that another way. We are utterly unrighteous. And yet, God, mercifully, by His grace, has saved us. That's one of the main themes of the Bible, it comes up all over the place. Um, We could go pretty much anywhere to talk about this, um, but we're going to go to Titus chapter 3. You might like to flip there in your Bible and hopefully it'll come up on your screen as well. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Titus, one of his trainees in ministry. He instructs Titus to remind his church on the Isle of Crete... To devote themselves to doing what is good. Now, what kind of good, you might ask? Uh, Well, look at verses 1 and 2. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle towards everyone. Obeying the government, not slandering, that's not speaking harmful lies, Uh, being peaceable, considerate and gentle, that's the good uh, that Paul thinks Titus should remind his church to do. Now, why does Titus need to remind the people of Crete to devote themselves to doing that kind of good? Well, because Paul and Titus both know that being good doesn't come easily or naturally. In verse 3, he describes himself and, and Titus, There we are, thanks Ben. Um, At one time, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And at this point, and his point, is that they, Paul and Titus, were both just the same as the Cretans. They were utterly unrighteous, foolish, disobedient, enslaved by passions and pleasures, deceived, living in malice and... uh, living in envy, hated and hating. It's not a pretty description, is it? But by nature, it's what all people are like, it's what we, by nature, were like. We were utterly unrighteous. We're fools, we make bad decisions, we're disobedient, How dare you tell me what I can and cannot do? We're deceived. We think that we know what is best, perhaps based on a a quick Google, um, but actually, usually we have no idea. Instead, we're slaves to our own passions, our own desires, our own pleasures. There's a quote I I heard some years ago, I I can't remember who it's from, so sorry if it was you and I I don't attribute you. Um, But the quote is this, no one sinned who didn't want to. No one sinned who didn't want to. Let me flip that around, Um, everyone who sins wants to sin. It's an uncomfortable thought, isn't it? Um, Every time you sin, it's because you want to. See, as much as we want to be free from sin, as much as we hate it when we hurt others or ourselves, as much as we know that it offends God, in the moment uh, when desire grips us, we want to sin. You know what, stuff it, I'm going to do it. We're enslaved by our own desires and pleasures. Now, in the second half of verse 3, Paul's point is that in sin, we don't just harm ourselves, sin poisons relationships too. See, malice, uh, that's me wishing evil to you. Envy, that's me wishing that the good that you have would come to me me to you, you to me and then that repeats again, hating is where I hate you, hated, you hate me in return. See, by nature, we're not kind or loving or generous, we're gripped by our passions and if you get in my way, boy, are you going to cop it. We were utterly unrighteous but then something changed, verse 4, we were utterly unrighteous. But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, that's talking about the incarnation of Jesus, when the kindness and love of our Saviour appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of His mercy. We were utterly unrighteous, but He saved us. He saved us. That's good news, isn't it? Grace. Grace not performance. God doesn't save us because we deserve it, He saves us because He is kind and loving and merciful. And how? How did He save us? Well, verse 5 tells us, He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. He's given us new birth by generously pouring out His Spirit on us. He's done it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He has justified us by His grace. He has declared us not guilty. Legally, we're in the clear. And why? Why has He been so generous to us? Why has He shown us this grace? Why has He set us free? What was His aim? Well, it's the end of verse 7 so that we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. See how generous God has been to you. You were utterly unrighteous. And yet, not only has He saved you, He has washed you and made you new. He has poured out His Spirit on you. He has declared you innocent and He is giving you an eternal place in His kingdom. God has had incredible mercy on you. God has never related to us on the basis of our performance. We were utterly unrighteous, and yet He has mercifully saved us by His grace. And if that's true, well, why would things start being about our performance after He has already graciously given us a right relationship with Him? That wouldn't make sense, would it? The entire Christian life is lived by God's super-abounding grace to us in Christ we begin by grace, we continue by grace, we will end by grace. Grace is what we need, grace is what we all need, grace is what we always need. Are you willing to not only believe that you need God's grace, are you willing to live like it? Will you accept that God only ever deals with you according to His grace in Christ? Will you admit that it's never about your performance, Will you believe that all your interactions with God every day have nothing to do with you and your performance and everything to do with Christ and His surpassing merit? Because God only ever deals with you on the basis of Jesus' merit. So will you get off the performance treadmill? Will you accept that Jesus is the super endurance athlete who has run that treadmill to a standstill? Grace is what we need. Grace is what we all need. Grace is what we always need. The entire Christian life is lived by God's super abounding grace to us in Christ. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for your grace to us in Christ. Thanks that He has run the race uh, that we could never run. Thank you that He has won forgiveness that we could never win. Father God, please keep teaching us day by day that your grace is what we need, that it's all we need, and that it's what we always need. In Jesus' name, Amen.